welcome to all of you. Thank you for joining us, either in person or online. It's good to be together on the last Sunday of the year. Hopefully, you have a lot of hope and anticipation. And if not, hopefully after the end of my message, you'll have some hope and anticipation. So earlier this week, I was listening to a podcast by Dr. Kara Powell. Dr. Kara Powell is the executive director of the Fuller Theological Seminary Youth Institute. Some of you know I graduated from Fuller Seminary, and Fuller's always had a strong uh, desire for evangelism. That's kind of one of the reasons the seminary was founded, was for evangelism purposes. So Dr. Powell is in charge of the Fuller Youth Institute, and their whole goal is to do research and really understand the emerging generation and what their needs are and how the church can best serve the emerging generation. So recently they did a study, and they did it and examined about 2,000 young people that were in the church to kind of find out what's going on with them, what are their needs, what are their desires, what's the hard things that are happening for them. And during that study, what they did, they started with 2,000, and they asked them a lot of questions, and they pared it down to 30. They took 30 young people, and they asked them about six hours worth of questions. They broke it up into several days so they could really examine what's going on. And during those conversations, one of the young guys said to him, he said, I'm really sick of going to church where the pastor's trying to give me answers to questions I don't have. It's kind of a really polite way of saying, I'm sick of going to church because it's really irrelevant, because the pastor's messages have nothing to do with my life or my situation. And so what they did was they took all of their research and they said, okay, what are the top three questions that the emerging generation has right now? What are the three things that they really want answers to? And so one of the first things that they wanted answers to was the question of, who am I? Questions about their identity. Who really am I? Second question is, where do I fit? Other words, where do I belong? Who are my people? Who do, how do I fit into this world? And the third thing they wanted to know is, what difference can I make? They want to know, what purpose do I have in life? The three things that the young people, emerging generation, want to know, they have questions about identity, questions about belonging, and questions about purpose. And which one do you think of those three was the number one need that they had? It was belonging. Who's my people? Where do I fit in? And I thought it was interesting when I'm listening to the results and I'm thinking, how much different, is our, 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 how much different are the older generation from the younger generation? I think we all have questions about identity and about belonging and about purpose. I think all of us have those questions. So I was sitting thinking this week, okay, I don't want to be the pastor that preaches sermons that you're like, okay, that's totally irrelevant. Why, why are you talking about that? That's not my question. And I thought, what question are we all asking right now? If I was going to limit it down, what questions are we all asking? And I think one of the questions that a lot of us ask right now, and I'm backing it up with a little Bible, is we ask the question of how long do I need to wait it's actually a very common question throughout the Gospels. You hear it from the beginning of the Bible all the way to the book of Revelations. How long, God? How long do I need to wait? And that's this whole part of Advent with the candles I forgot to light. How long do we have to wait? How long do we have to wait for Jesus to do what we ask him to do? You think about the book of Habakkuk. How long, O oh Lord, must I ask for the, your help? 
but you don't listen. Violence is everywhere. I cry, but you do not come and save. Or in Psalm 35, how long, O Lord, will you look on us and do nothing? Rescue me from my fierce attacks. Protect me from the life of these lions. And then in Revelations, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge the blood for what they've done to us? All throughout the scriptures, how long? And I think each of us, our own lives, we have questions about how long do I need to wait for this? I've prayed for days, years, months, decades. How long, God, before you answer? So I would love to do a sermon today and say, I'm going to answer your question about how long. But unfortunately, I don't think I could proof text enough scripture to put together a reason for you to know how long. If I was going to preach that sermon, I think I would have one scripture I could use. And that's in the book of John 13, verse 7, where Jesus replies to Peter. Jesus says, you have no idea what I'm doing right now, but someday you will. I think that's probably the answer when we say, God, how long is he just looks and says, you have no idea, but someday you will. So what question am I going to answer today? I thought if we don't know that we don't can't ask the question of how long, I think the next best question is, what do we do while we wait? God, what do you expect us to do while we wait for you to answer the questions that we have? So I thought, let's look at Exodus 13. Let's look at the famous Bible story of the Lord parting the Red Sea for the Israelites. If you grew up in church, you probably heard this Bible story hundreds of times before. But I want to look at this very strategic chapter, Exodus 13, to help us to understand what does God do and what do we do while we wait. Now, before we understand or before I read through Exodus 14, we need to go back to Exodus 6. In Exodus 6, we're going to see why we have Exodus 14. Now, if you want a quick little summary, what is the book of Exodus about? Exodus is all about two things. It's all about God is the one true God. And number two, God always keeps his promises. That's the book of Exodus in one sentence. God's faithful, and he keeps all of his promises. So in Exodus 6, verse 7, God says to the prophet Moses, I want you to tell this to the people. Go tell the Israelites that I am the Lord. I will free you from your oppression. I will rescue you from slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. I will claim you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who has freed you from your opposition in Egypt. Now, this isn't just a promise to the Israelites 4,000 years ago. This is a promise to every single follower of Jesus of what he wants to do in your life. This is a summary verse of what Jesus wants to do in your life, and basically what he wants to do in your life is to destroy every work of the enemy that's in your life. God wants to free you from oppression. He wants to free you from bondages. He wants to claim you as his own. He wants to give you a new life, and he wants to restore everything to you for the purpose that we would know him better, for the purpose that we would trust him completely with every aspect of our life. That's his whole goal of setting the Israelites free so they would trust him. In some ways, you could say God says to the Israelites, I will prove to you that I'm worth trusting. So this is a whole situation. The Israelites, they've been in captivity in the nation of Egypt for 400 years. 
For 400 years, they've been crying out to God, would you rescue us? Would you set us free from the Egyptians? And they wait, and they wait. And their biggest question is, how long do we have to wait? So as you know the story, God raises up the, Mo, the man Moses. God tells Moses, you go to Pharaoh and you tell him to let the people go. And as we know, Pharaoh didn't, wasn't very complicit. We had to go back and forth with the ten plagues. So once again, there's more waiting. How long did those ten plagues take? Now, there's no, there's, that's kind of a dispute of theologians. Some people say it took 40 days to go through the ten plagues. I don't buy that one. I think it's more closer to a year. I think for a year... I mean, this is totally conjecture. It's not proven. They had to go through a season of going through the 10 plagues. So even though Moses is now the leader, it's still not easy for the Israelites. So once they do finally get set free, God gets them out of Egypt. They are only 40 days away from the promised land. I mean, imagine that. They're leaving today. By the end of January, you're going to be in the promised land. That's not too long. That looks pretty reasonable until God decides to take them on the long route. Who does that? You've been waiting 400 years to get out of captivity. Now you got a little 40-day walk, and God says, let's take the long way. Any of you feel like that in your own life? Where it's like, God, I, come on. Let's take the fast way there. Why did he do that? In Exodus 13, God says clearly, if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their mind and return to Egypt. So God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness towards the Red Sea. This is the deal. These people that are following Moses have been in captivity their entire life. They have absolutely no idea how to stand up to an enemy. They have no idea how to stand up for, to war. But that's not their biggest problem. Their biggest problem is they don't have any idea of what it's like to live in freedom. They've spent their entire life making bricks. They've spent their entire life people telling them what to do. They've spent their entire line being battered and bruised and neglected. They have no idea how to trust anybody. And they have no idea how to trust God right now. And God knew those Israelites well enough. He knew that if he was going to get them out of Egypt, he knew the very first time they were confronted with an enemy, they would want to run straight back to Egypt because the Israelites had no idea how to fight. But they didn't need to learn how to fight. They needed to learn how to trust in God that he was going to fight their battles for them. But God knew the shape of the Israelites when they got out of Egypt that they were not prepared, they were not equipped, they were weak, they were broken, they were bruised, they had no military. They had no military strategy. All that they had was a God that was going to lead them out, and it's as if God was saying to the people, that's all you need. The Israelites were never supposed to learn how to fight and have a big military they were supposed to learn to trust God and that God would fight their battles for them. So what does God do? He leads the Israelites out of captivity. He has them take the long route. And then he gets them in a terrible military situation. He gets them trapped. He gets them trapped between the Red Sea and the mountains. 
Now, if you have a little knowledge of military strategy, that's the last place you want to be as a nation, trapped where you can't get out. God puts the Israelites in a risky position, but he did it for a reason. He did it because he wanted their enemies to come after them. Now, you listen to that, and you think, now, that doesn't make any sense. God, why did you want the Egyptians to come after the Israelites? God did it for a strategic reason. He wanted, the, he wanted the Egyptians to come after them. And that's exactly what happened. Pharaoh saw the Israelites, recognized that the Israelites were trapped, and he said, you know what? I want my workforce back. I've had these people working for me for the last 400 years. I had free labor. I want them back. So what did Pharaoh do? He sent his entire army to go back after the Israelites and get them and to bring them back. And as you can imagine, the Israelites are getting a little nervous. They're getting a little scared. What's happening? We thought we got out of bondage. Now the, Israel, the Egyptians are coming after us. And so what, do the, so what do the Israelites start to do? They start to complain. They start to worry. They start to fear. They start to fret. They start to say, we should just all go back to Egypt. Our life was easier before. So Moses stands up in front of the people. Instead of Moses saying, rebuking the people for complaining, he says to them three things. He says, don't be afraid, stand still, and watch the Lord rescue you today. That's code for Moses saying, you're not going to have to fight. Instead, God's going to fight for you. And then God says something to the Israelites that almost seems more ridiculous. He says, now get moving. How am I going to get moving? I'm trapped. There's absolutely no place I can go, but now God is saying to the Israelites, get moving. Why did God tell them to get moving when they couldn't go anywhere? That's a good question. I'll answer that at the end of my message. But for now, I want you to see that the fight's not over for the Israelites. Here they're in this big, complicated situation. They're trapped between the Red Sea and the mountains, and let's not forget that for the last 40 days, God has been guiding the Israelites by a cloud during the day, and by night, he's guiding them by a fire in the sky. Can you make it any, any more obvious to the Egyptians where the Israelites are? Put a little light in the sky and say, hey, here I am. You can't see me at nighttime. Just follow this light to find me. I mean, if you had an Israelite, you'd be just stinking scared. Who wants to be in that situation? But as you remember from my message last week, I told you by the very fact that you carry Jesus inside of you is an invitation for conflict. It is an invitation that you are going to have opposition in your life. But here we even see back in the Old Testament that even though the Israelites had a big old light in the sky saying, hey, enemies, we're right here, the scripture tells us that the Egyptians didn't come after the Israelites in the night. That God protected the Israelites and he kept them back. And by the morning, that night, it was very interesting what happened. The Israelites, here they have every reason to be nervous and scared. Moses tells them to don't be afraid, stand still. The Egyptians are making no more progress to them. And it was at that point that God said to Moses what he wanted him to do. 
that he was going to part the Red Sea. It's interesting timing because you think, God, why didn't you tell them like days ago, hey, I'm going to get you in this vulnerable position. I'm going to get you trapped. I'm going to put a light in the sky. Your enemies are all going to be running after you. The entire Egyptian army is going to run after you. Why didn't God tell them ahead of time? Just to warn you guys, but he doesn't. He waits for the Israelites to get in the most risky position, and he waits for them to finally calm down, and then he tells Moses exactly what's going to happen. So there Moses is on the side of the river and praying that night that the sea would part. Now, wouldn't it be nice if he prayed and the sea just, poof, parted? But it didn't. God sent an east wind to blow that sea open. Now, I don't know how fast wind has to blow to part a sea, but my guess is it's probably a little bit more than a breeze. It's probably hurricane force wind that is actually driving the sea apart because that sea is estimated to be between 20 and 30 feet deep. It's going to take a pretty strong wind to blow that sea apart. And also remember that Scripture tells us that the ground dried in the sea as well. God didn't tell the Israelites, I want you to run across on muddy ground. He waited for the ground to dry as well. So there the Israelites are on the side of the Red Sea, and God is blowing that wind, and they're finally calm, waiting for what God's going to do next. So that's a great story. But what relevance does that have to our life? What relevance does that have towards our life as we go in the new year? See, the book of Exodus is a picture of your relationship with Jesus in two parts. The first part is how God gets us out of Egypt. And the second part is how God gets Egypt out of us. How God sets us free from the bondages of being without freedom for too long. So the first part of the Exodus is all about your salvation and redemption. And the second part is all about your process of sanctification that's going to make you more like Jesus. And it's in this part of the story that we discover four things that we need to do while we wait. And the first thing that we need to do as we enter into this new year is we remember, number one, that God is in control. It seems kind of obvious, but it's a good reminder that God's in control with a plan and a strategy. The first thing that God says in Exodus 14.1 says, then God gave these instructions to Moses. God has instructions for each and every one of us. God has instructions on how to get each of us out of situations that we're in. While it's comforting to know that God is in control, we also do face the fact that like the Israelites, sometimes God's plans don't seem the most logical. And sometimes in God's leading, we feel like we're getting trapped. We feel like we're in a situation that there's no escape out of. And sometimes that is God's strategy to get us in a really vulnerable position because he wants our enemies to be defeated. That's ultimately what happened to the Israelites. Their enemies were defeated. And sometimes God will put us in unique positions to defeat our enemies. And a lot of times God puts us in these difficult situations because he's helping to expose the things in our nut life that we need freedom from the most. I think we all recognize that when you get in difficult positions, that's sometimes when the ugly inside of us comes out. That's when the shadow side of each of us can come out. 
That's exactly what God did for the Israelites. When he put them in a difficult position, that's when their enemies came out. And the second thing that we need to remember as we move in this new year is that we don't need to panic. But we probably will. And God has a plan for that as well. See, I think if God would have warned the Israelites in advance everything that would happen with the Red Sea, most of them probably would have said, I'll stay in Egypt. I'm not going to go through that. That sounds a little bit too difficult. See, God allowed them to get in that hard position because he wanted them to cry out to him. And I think he wanted them to complain as well. See, in Exodus 14, verse 10, it says, As Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses, Why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? Why have you done this to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you that we would, this would happen if we left Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be slaves in Egypt than corpses in the wilderness. See, the Israelites were crying out to God. And that's what God wanted them to do. God wanted them to get to the place of de desperation and hopelessness. That's what got Exodus 14 started anyway. It all started in Exodus 2, where it says the Israelites cried out to help to God and he heard their cry, and he came to rescue them. See, Exodus 14 always reminds us that God listens to every cry of desperation, that every prayer that is prayed, God, get me out of this, every prayer that is prayed of God, rescue me, set me free, get me out, God listens, and God responds. And that's a major theme of the whole Old Testament is that God always responds to prayer. But the Israelites also complained. They complained a lot in Exodus 14. And I think their complaining was a good thing. I mean, they should not have done it. But it showed what was actually inside of them. And I think it's a reminder for each of us to listen to our complaints. Because sometimes our complaints show us what we really need and want. The Israelites' main complaint was they didn't think they could trust God. They didn't think God was really going to be there for them. That's why they said, let's just go back to Egypt. Sometimes if you really listen to your complaints, you'll notice what you want more from God than anything else. See, the biggest problem for the Israelites wasn't their situation. It wasn't the feeling of getting trapped. It wasn't they were tired from being in Egypt. Their biggest problem was in their heart. Their biggest problem is that they still did not trust God. And that was God's goal, was to get the Israelites to trust him completely. And the hard situation that the Israelites were in was crafted by God to get the Israelites to trust him completely. I think a lot of us are going into the next year into a situation that could be tough or could be difficult. And some of it is to get us to trust him. But it's also for us to be a witness to the people that don't know Jesus. 
The third thing that we need to remember as we go in the new year is that God fights for you. So remember Moses said to the Israelites, don't be afraid. Stand still and watch the Lord. God wanted the Israelites to realize that he would fight their battles for them. That they didn't have to fight their battles. But what's so interesting about Exodus 14 is that the Egyptians caught on quicker than the Israelites that God fights the battles for the Israelites. It was the Egyptians who noticed that God was fighting the battle for the Israelites. Remember in Exodus 14, verse 18, God said, when my glory is displayed through them, all of Egypt will see my glory and know that I am the Lord. God's plan was not just to deliver the Israelites. His plan was to deliver the Egyptians as well. God wanted the Egyptians to see through this whole military action that he was the one true God. Even if it looked like the Egyptians were at the enemies, God wanted to reach out to the Egyptians and to show them that he was the one true God. That's the thing about the situations that we go through. It's not just about me going through something difficult or hard. It's about the people that are watching me that don't know Jesus. You remember when the Israelites, when the Egyptians were chasing the Israelites, the Egyptians shouted in verse 25, the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. It was the Egyptians figured out that God fights your battles for you. They figured it out before the Israelites. That's kind of an interesting story. You would think the Israelites were to be the first to figure it out. But it was the Egyptians who figured it out. See, the theme of the Old Testament is that if you want to be a strong military power, if you want to win battles, you need to follow the Lord because he will fight your battles for you. The Israelites were going into this war with the Egyptians with no weapons, with no military, with no strategy, no chariots, with no horses, with nothing. And they defeated one of the largest armies in the world because God was fighting for them. That's the most beautiful thing about this entire story is that God delivered the Israelites and the Israelites had no contribution to this battle except they trusted in the Lord. And so finally, the Egyptians are chasing after the Israelites. They're running after them through the Red Sea. Moses gets to the other side. He prays, and the Red Sea closes up, and all the Egyptians are destroyed. And at the end of the chapter, at the end of the verse, it says about the Israelites, they put their faith in the Lord and in his servant Moses. The whole strategy, this whole reason chapter 14 exists is for the Israelites to learn how to trust in God. And it happened. By the end of the story, they trusted in God. And as we go through and go into 2022, I know a lot of us are going with reservations. 
A lot of us are going with discouragement. A lot of the things that we went into 2021 with, we went in thinking COVID would be over this year, thinking maybe we'd have some politics would settle down a little bit this year. Maybe some of the grievances between faith communities would slow down this year. And we saw nothing, none of that really happened. We didn't see a lot of the things that we really hoped for this year. And so here we are at this time, wondering as we approach this new year, is anything going to change or are we going to go through 2021 with the exact same thing happening again? I don't know. But I do know that God wants the Egyptians to see that he is God. God wants the people that are not part of church, that are not part of community, to look at the body of Christ and say, wow, look how God treats those people. Look how their life looks. One of the greatest evangelistic tools that we can do is just to reflect Jesus and to reflect him well as we go through pain and struggles and hardships and difficulties. What if that's our calling this year? Just to allow the grace of God and the light of God to shine through our life no matter the situation that we go through. What if our calling this year is not to bicker and to argue and to be upset about everything political that happens, but to allow the peace of Christ to work through us? What if God was saying we don't have to fight this year, but he's going to fight for us? That he's going to fight for us in prayer? through prayer and intercession? What if God was going to part the Red Sea that's right in front of us? So I think a lot of us feel trapped this year as we're moving to the new year. And what I love about Exodus 14 is that God split the Red Sea. What they thought blocked them in, God separated it and they walked through it. They didn't have to walk around it. They didn't have to go under it. They didn't have to go over it. They went right through it. But God's strategy came at just the right time. My guess is most of you are feeling trapped by at least one or two things in your life right now. That probably most people are looking at one or two things in their life right now just feeling a little bit trapped. And you're feeling a little bit like the Israelites, like how did I get in this situation? And how do I get out? But could it be that God has brought you right into the situation that you are in right now to manifest his glory to people around you that don't know him and to also build your faith and hope and trust and confidence in him today? That's my expectation as we move into this new year. That no matter what happens, our trust and confidence in God will continue to grow and grow and grow. And as we move into this new year, that we'll have enthusiasm like we've never had before. Next week, I want to share more with you about the three areas that I think as a church community we're really going to pursue in the new year. But I'm looking forward to this new year. I think God's going to give us a lot of opportunities to see him rescue, to see him set free, to see people released from bondages. All the promises that God made in the book of Exodus, the same promises that God makes in the book of John, that he came to set the captives free, that no matter what situation we're in, we're going to see people being set free this year.
So let's, uh, so let's close this service. We're going to sing another song, but let's just close it with an expectation that God is going to do something in this new year. So let me pray, and then I'll have Greg come up and chat and lead us in one last song. So God, I thank you for today, and I thank you, Lord, for the reminder of the Israelites that you are a God who sometimes puts us in unique situations that we don't want to be in. But yet you put us in a unique situation, Lord, to show your glory and to show your plan of salvation. And so, Lord, I pray, Lord, that right now, Lord, your Holy Spirit would stir up each and every one of us at home or online or in the sanctuary, Lord, with an enthusiasm, with an expectation, and with a hope for the new year. God, I pray, Lord, that you would give us an excitement for the new year. God, I pray that you would give us a confidence in the new year that you are the God who fights our battles for us. That no matter what situation is, we can stand still and not panic and watch you move on our behalf. Lord, we come before you today, Lord, recognizing we can't do any of that on our own, and we thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that works inside each and every one of us to give us hope, to give us faith, to give us love, and to give us peace. And we pray, Lord, that these attributes of Advent would be real in each of us today as we move into this new year. We pray in Jesus' name. <music>